So like I said, we are going to still do a Christmas-related message, but it may be a little different than what you uh, maybe have been used to or kind of the traditional kind of feel of the Christmas message. So I hope it um, still speaks to your heart and and we have our hearts in the right place for God's Word to, to do its work. So let's go ahead and pray as we get started in it this morning. Father, we do ask that your Word would work in us that your word would speak the truth of Christ to us and what the significance is that he took on flesh, what that means for us, for our salvation, what that means for us each and every day when we wake up and seek to live lives that please you. What What does it mean that Christ came into this world? And how does that fit into our lives every day? So help us to see clearly your word, understand it clearly, and help us by your spirit to have our affections moved towards you. That we would love you deeper, trust you more, in hearing your word and the truth of Christ this morning. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. With the growth of medical research in the last century, our society has developed a vast number of diagnoses when it comes to problems that people have, right? What we used to call was, oh, that person just has a tendency to be a worrier, now is they have an anxiety disorder, right? Or when someone once used to have a self-control issue with their anger now is, well, they genetically received that from their parents, right? Now, I don't bring this up in order to stir any sort of debate on validity of diagnoses or things like that. I think there probably is a proper place for us to determine the difference between an actual mental disorder or a problem within someone's brain versus just a sin problem, right? I think there is a place for that, but that's not this morning, My whole point in all of this is we've created a way for everybody's problem to be unique, right? Everybody now has their own situation, their own unique problem that then they can say to people, well, you've never walked a mile in my shoes, so you can't speak into my situation, right? It's now begun to shut out everybody around us because my situation is specific to me, my disorder is specifically different than whatever it is that you've ever dealt with, so you can't say anything. And the problem is, sometimes that then also carries over to the, a person's relationship with God, right? Well, God might know the details of my situation, but he didn't walk through specifically what I walk through, right? Sure, yeah, God became flesh, but that doesn't mean that he necessarily feels everything that I have to go through, right? So now God is at a distance from our situation. But the truth we find at Christmas, the truth we find in our passage this morning, is that in Jesus Christ, God does partake in the same things as us. In fact, Jesus walked a whole lot more than a mile in our shoes. So with that truth, we can be sure of this, we can find help in Christ. So I want to end kind of our seasonal time of Christmas looking at the help 
that we find in Jesus, specifically in the importance of him taking on flesh and blood like us. So if you look at our passage here, it'll be up there, but if you have your Bible and want to use it, Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 14. Hebrews 2, starting in verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham." Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted." Now, there's a lot of pieces in just these few verses, right? There's a whole lot of moving pieces of what the author of Hebrews is trying to say. But I've narrowed it down into four points that you see in your outline, all of which are regarding how Christ helps us. But before we get into Christ's entrance in order to help us, we must look at the underlying issue, the the foundation of the problem here, which is your first point. We needed help. Or, we need help, right? It could be both past and present. We must first understand and admit this reality before Christ is actually seen of any benefit to us, right? If you don't actually think you need any help, Jesus is of no use to you, right? Think of the atheist in our society who claims there's no need for God to exist, or of the secular man-centered worldview that says all truth can be found within yourself. Or even look at religious people, right, of other religions or even certain versions of the Christian religion, they might call it, where they think that your final reward is based on your own effort. All of these worldviews lack one thing, the admission of I need help. But when we look at our passage, we see that we all are in a great need of help. Just consider a few realities Before Christ even enters the picture, look what's true. Look at verse 15 of what life is like for all of us. Through fear of death, we're subject to lifelong slavery. Slaves for life. Who would call themselves a slave but say, but I don't need any help? Right? Freedom from slavery is not achieved by the slave himself. And look even further at that verse. What held us in lifelong slavery? Fear of death. Think about it. What has been going on throughout all of human history? What has been the ongoing fear, the driving force for so many innovations throughout all of these centuries? Why do we put so much effort into medical research? People fear death. And how much more has that been elevated in the last two years in the midst of COVID? Don't gather as a church. Don't meet for the holidays. 
cancel your weddings and your graduations? And what's the underlying basis for all of that? Be afraid that you might die. Death is a powerful motivator in our world. Especially for those who think at death is the end of everything. Right? That there is nothing that follows our death. You don't want your life here to end prematurely if you think this life is all that there is. But while fear of death holds people in lifelong slavery, look at verse 14 as we see who is the culprit behind much of it. The one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. This is where secularist society departs from biblical truth. This is where they begin to part ways. We all can admit, whether it's a secular worldview or a Christian worldview, that people fear death. We all can admit that, but this is where we start to depart. Notice how early in the process we depart ways. Society will agree that fear of death is something that enslaves our world, but their solution, prevent death. But the biblical solution goes further. It says the culprit of death, the one who has the power of death, needs to be defeated. We part ways from the rest of society at this point, and now we begin to differentiate. What is it that we really need? Right? Those worldviews of atheism, humanism, or man-centered religion say, might say we need some sense of help, but it's only found within our own abilities. Right? They might admit they need help, but they think that they are their own help. The more we study science and medicine, the more help we will find based on the knowledge that we gain. But that's not where the Bible lands. Right? I'm not saying the Bible is against medical research, right? so don't hear that. But Scripture lands that there's a greater help, that we need help apart from ourselves. No human being is able to overcome the devil, are we? He has the power of death, so someone else greater than him must defeat him, and that's not us. We can't overcome him on our own. Even the systems of the Old Testament that God himself set up were not going to ultimately fix the problem of death. That's what we see as this problem's further explained in verse 17. What do we see as the problem there? What needs to have propitiation? Sins of people. Sin is the problem. And that makes sense, right? Because we know what Romans says. The wages of sin is death. Right? So if death, a fear of death, holds us in lifelong slavery, ultimately the underlying problem of that is what? What produces death? Sin does. Death did not exist until sin entered into the world. And what was established in the Old Testament with the priests and all these sacrifices of animals for sin were not sufficient to defeat death. In fact, the author of Hebrews will tell us later in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It can't be done. The blood of animals in the Old Testament couldn't take away sin, which still leaves human beings with the problem of sin and ultimately with the problem of death. In fact, these priests couldn't even fully take their own sins away, right? Because all they could do for themselves was offer what? Animals as sacrifices. 
It was a God-ordained system, but it was a system of shadows in order to point to what was yet to come. So this is the truth for all of us. We needed help. We need help. All of us are born without Jesus. All of us are sinners, which means what? We are all born lifelong slaves through the fear of death. Either afraid of physical death because we believe that there's nothing to come after it, or maybe afraid of spiritual death because we have read Scripture and do know what we see to be the ultimate end for those who die in their sins. Either way, we need help. And this is where Christ enters into the picture, your second point on the outline. Christ comes to help, and we have two pieces to this. First, his desire to help, and then the way he enters for help, right? So let's first look at his desire. You see it in verse 16. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. It's kind of an odd verse, isn't it? Right Now, because of the, our cultural differences, right, this difference had to be made for the people, but it's still clear what's trying to be said here. Who are the offspring of Abraham that Jesus comes to help? The difference is there's a heavenly host, and then there's mankind. The ones who needed help, the ones who needed saved from their sin, from their slavery, from their death, is mankind. So that's the point. Christ has come to help us, not the angels, but us. Those who were just described as being in sin, in slavery, under the devil. And Christ does this willingly. Look at how he states it in John chapter 10, verse 8, when he's talking about giving up his own life. Chapter 10, verse 18, not 18. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again, this charge I have received from my Father. Jesus says nobody's taking it from him. He's laying it down on his own accord. He does it out of a desire to help us, a desire to do his Father's will, a desire to display the truth of John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world. Jesus is displaying a love for us in coming to help us in our state of need. And one of the greatest displays of this desire to help is the way he enters to help. This is deeply significant because without this specific entrance, what Christ does later in life really has no value to us unless he enters in this way. What we find in our passage here is there is profound magnitude of Christ being made like us. Look at verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. This was absolutely necessary. How could Christ help those whom he was not like? It's similar to the argument made at the beginning, right? If you don't walk a mile in my shoes, how can you truly help me? Well, his birth, what we celebrate at Christmas here, is that Jesus does enter the world in every respect made like the brothers, like us. 
Or if you jump up to verse 14, you see the title of our message there. Since the children, those of us who would trust in Christ, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. It's not just that we needed help. It's not just that we needed help and Jesus wanted to help. But it's the reality that he took on flesh and blood, the same things as us, like us in every respect, in order to be able to help. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas. Jesus made like us, partaking in the same things as us, in order to give us help. And we find that the humanity of Jesus becoming like us is absolutely necessary for what Christ will later accomplish through his death. So let's look at his death, right? How Christ helped, past tense. Specifically, all those needs we saw in our first main point find their help, find their resolution in Christ's death. The problem of slavery to the fear of death. The problem of the devil being the one with the power of death, and the problem of sin which produces death. Look first at verse 14. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. So Jesus takes on flesh and blood so that when he dies, he is destroying the one who has the power of death. Remember what we read just not that long ago in our study of the Gospel of John, in John chapter 12, verse 31. As Jesus is entering Jerusalem just days away from his crucifixion, what does he say? Now this is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. The one who holds the power of death is defeated by the death and resurrection of Christ. Christ displays that he reigns over death, not the devil anymore. The defeat of the one with the power of death means victory, but only victory for those who are united to the one who is victorious. That's an important thing to notice in these verses. We see human beings referred in three different ways in these verses. You saw it in verse 14 here, right? They're called what? The children. Later, they're called the offspring of Abraham. And later after that, they're called brothers. This is crucial to pay attention to because by other passages of Scripture, all of these descriptions we see as only descriptions of those who trust in Jesus. It is those who trust in Jesus that are adopted as children into God's family. It is them that are called the true offspring of Abraham. Not because they're biologically related to him, but because they respond to faith in Christ the same way that Abraham trusted God. And no one in the New Testament is called a true brother unless he also is in Christ. 
So we must realize this, that the power of death is in Christ's hands. He has defeated the devil, but that defeat is only applied to us if we are born again. To those who have come to Jesus and trust in him. So first Christ helps. He helped by destroying the one who has the power of death. But then we also see, because of that, then the next part is true, which is in verse 15. We have been delivered, freed, released from the slavery we were held in by the fear of death. If you trust in Christ, you not only understand that there is life after death, unlike many people in our world, but you also have the assurance that you won't face spiritual death after you die. Both of those fears that we talked about before are relieved by Christ's death. You have no need to fear that this earthly life is all that there is, and you have no need to fear that eternal death waits you on the other side. My friends, did you hear that? If you know with certainty that you have trusted in Jesus Christ, you are delivered from fearing death. You are no longer a slave to fearing when the end of your life might be. No matter how early it could happen, you don't need to fear it. Fear consumes our world right now. But I would argue that we as Christians should be displaying a radically different response to COVID. I'm not saying a careless response. All right, so please don't hear that. But a response where we actually are displaying, I don't fear death. That's the attachment, isn't it? Everywhere you look in the media, the attachment is COVID and death, right? intricately linked to each other. Now, there's arguments, right? And we're not going to get into them. There's debate and arguments of how accurate those numbers are. Let's put that aside. Let's say, worst case scenario, 100% of COVID cases die. 100%, if you catch it, you're gone. What Christ has done through his death is liberated us from fearing any death that we might face. You don't have to be afraid of it. We need to walk in that liberation, in freedom from that slavery. Can we say, I don't fear death? Right? Again, I'm not saying we put ourselves in dangerous situations on purpose. I'm not saying that we become careless with our lives. But I think there's a way to still have a concern for society in general and concern for people's actual health, while still not living in fear. Those are two different things, right? And we have this assurance because the problem has been dealt with. The core problem has been fixed. In these verses we just looked at, we see the problem in regards to us as human beings, right? The devil holds power over us. He holds the power of death. Thus, we are slaves, We fear death. However, verse 17 provides us how Jesus has resolved the problem in regards to God. Not just in what he does for us, but how he fixes it with God. By his death, he proves to be the merciful and faithful high priest. 
The priest as one who represents the people to God. Better than any priest that has ever existed. No other priest could offer true mercy, right? Because mercy only comes from God. No other priest could ever be truly faithful because all the other priests were sinners, sinful people. But now we come to Christ, both truly God and truly man. He becomes the perfect and final high priest. And what does he do? Makes propitiation for the sins of the people. Now that's a hefty theological word, isn't it? Propitiation. Let me just state it simply. Jesus satisfies God's wrath. You see, because when we're in conflict with people, we often will offer a peace offering, won't we? Let me take you out to dinner or just accept this gift on behalf of the conflict between us. But what's our point in offering a peace offering? We want to avoid the wrath, right? That, we don't want the wrath to happen, but in Jesus we find that God's wrath is not avoided, but a substitution has taken place. We are pulled out of the path of his wrath while Jesus is put in as the replacement. Thus, the payment for sin is not avoided, but it's paid. It is finished. The reason we do not have to fear death is because in trusting in Jesus, our sins have been paid in full. No more payment necessary. No more wrath to be poured out on us. But all of this is only possible because of what? Because he himself partook of the same things as us. He was made like us in every respect. That's the only way he could satisfy God's wrath for human beings. He had to be a human being himself. And it's the only way for the devil to be defeated because only God could do such a thing. May we remember that Jesus as God in the flesh not only walked a mile in our shoes, but he walked the hill of Calvary in our shoes. All of it to help us to pay for our sins, to destroy the devil and his power of death, and to deliver us from slavery to the fear of death. Now, we could just end it there, couldn't we? Humbled by the reality of Christ partaking the same things and Christ helping us by going to the cross, defeating the devil, freeing us from slavery through the fear of death, and making propitiation for our sins. We could just call it quits there and be thankful and be humbled by that reality, but the author of Hebrews doesn't. Could have, but he goes one step further. In Christ taking on flesh, he not only helped us, past tense, but he also sees how Christ helps us, present tense. You see, because we can say amen to the importance of Christ taking on flesh for the sake of saving us and giving us eternal life, but we can often view that as a past event with future consequences but no present function. But what we see here at the end is that there is even a present help offered because of Jesus becoming like us. And you see it in verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted... He is able to help those who are being tempted. Now we know that Christ was without sin, right? That's the only way the propitiation works. The sacrifice is only good if it's a sinless, perfect sacrifice. 
However, that does not mean that Christ was without temptation. When he partook of flesh like us, he also submitted himself to the suffering of temptation like us. The only difference? We actually fall into temptation and end up sinning. But since Christ walked through this same suffering, he is now able in saving us to presently help us when we also face temptation. So whatever temptation it is that you face in life, are you often tempted to become angry and bitter towards people? Christ has been there. Do you struggle with being afraid of death? Or do you struggle with fearing the opinions of other people in this world? Christ knows how that feels. Maybe you wrestle with keeping things first and prioritizing God in your life. While Christ maybe never faltered in this, he still knows the temptation to seek pleasure in worldly things. Now you may be suspicious of this, right? Well, Jesus still wasn't in my specific situation, right? So can he truly still help me? But let me point you just a couple of chapters later in Hebrews chapter 4, what we see, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, Draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Did you hear that? In every respect, tempted as you are. It may not be the exact details of your life, but whatever the temptation is, you can be sure he faced it. And you can also be confident that if you are saved by him, you can come to the throne, and find grace to help you in your time of need. Not only are you saved by grace, you are also helped by grace when you are facing temptation and you bring it to Jesus. You know, back when I was a youth student, I was in some leadership role as one of the students, and I often had friends in this youth group coming up to me and asking for advice many of them coming from broken homes. But I doubted any advice that I could come up with. I'd never been in that situation, right? I've never faced whatever it was, whether it was divorce or abuse or being neglected. And I struggled that with that for a long, long time. Even in my early stages of coming into ministry, I really struggled with What do I have to say to some of these situations? But as I've continued in my studies of Scripture and specifically in the realm of biblical counseling, it has helped me realize I don't have to have a similar experience in order to speak into someone's life. Because my job is to point people to the throne of grace, to Jesus who did partake of the same flesh and encountered the same suffering and temptations that they are walking through. So I'm going to put a little plug in here for biblical counseling. 
right? If you or someone you know are struggling with a specific issue in life, a sin or a temptation to a certain sin, please know that's part of why I am here. That's part of my purpose. Now, many people are tempted to dismiss me quickly because of my age or my lack of experience, right? How can you counsel someone when you've never faced some of these same things, right? How can you counsel a parent dealing with a teenager if you yourself don't even have teenage children, right? But I want you to know that any hope that I have to offer, and truly any hope that a Christian should be putting their trust in, is not based on my experience. It's only based on the grace that you find in Jesus. So I want to help anyone in here, anyone listening, anyone you you know that needs grace in your time of need. So please let me know if you need that. Because the reality is what? We all need that, don't we? We need others around us to point us back to Jesus. To be reminded of the truth of verse 18. That he himself suffered when tempted, and he is able to help those who are being tempted. That's all of us. He knows your suffering. He knows your temptations. So we are to find our help in him. So my friends, I hope you have confidence this morning in the help that Christ offers by partaking of the same things as us. I hope you see how him sharing in our flesh and blood and dying as a man led to the destruction of the devil as the one with the power over death. And that in that being destroyed, you and I are delivered from the slavery of fearing death. And I hope you see how him being made like us also allows him to satisfy God's wrath so that you not only get to approach God for all eternity after you die, but you can approach his throne with confidence today. Any moment of any day, you can approach him with confidence because the wrath has already been paid for. Through Jesus, you can come to the throne of God and find grace, find help from the one who also suffered when he faced temptation. We all need help. So may we all find Christ to be our help as we close our Christmas season and we celebrate the fact of the title of the message, right? That he partook of the same things as us. We can have confidence that because of that truth, we can find help for all of our sin, and help for every step of our life, every temptation we face, every suffering we deal with, we can find help in him. Let's pray. Father, we can't even, we can't even begin to imagine what it means that Jesus, who had spent eternity in your, with, with you, with you as the Father, that he was in relationship with you, that he had all of creation, all of heaven at his fingertips, and he submitted himself 
to becoming like us. To partaking in the same things as us. To take on flesh and blood. To face suffering and temptation. And ultimately, to suffer death. Also that all of us sitting here this morning can have help. Help in having our sins dealt with. Help in having the one who holds the power of death, the devil, defeated and destroyed. Help in being freed from our slavery to the fear of death. And help every day when we face temptation. Help us, Father, each and every day to come to your throne of grace and find help. knowing that we are speaking to the one who knows every temptation, who has walked every step in our shoes. Maybe not the exact details, but you know exactly what we're going through. You know exactly how it feels. And you can help us. So may we find grace and help in our time of need in coming to you all on the basis of what we celebrate here at Christmas. That Jesus in every respect was made like us. May our hearts dwell on that reality as we close our time of celebration in the coming week. We ask all of this in his name. Amen. We're going to close our time